welcome to Circle Sanctuary Network Podcasts, brought to you by Circle Sanctuary, one of the oldest nature spirituality churches in the United States, connecting people of nature center paths around the world. Join us through the week for a variety of shows discussing various topics, celebrating the divine in all of its forms through nature worship, rituals, education, and building bridges of community. Good evening, good morning, good night, good second breakfast, whenever you are, wherever you are. My name is Laura Gonzalez, and I'd like to welcome you to Lunatic Mondays, Lunes Lunaticos, the very first bilingual show for CSMP, the Circle Sanctuary Network podcast. And tonight we have a guest whom I adore, and also he's looking so good today. Uh, <laughs> my dear friend, Thor Fairwolf, uh, he's a professional author, teacher, warlock, priest, an initiate of the fairy tradition of witchcraft. He holds the black wand of a master and is the founder of the Blue Rose lineage of fairy. He is one of the founding teachers of the Black Rose School of Witchcraft, and he travels internationally teaching the magical arts. He's also the author of Betwixt and Between and so many other titles. And if you wanna learn more about him, you can find him on www.fairywolf.com. And today we're here to celebrate. Yes, we're still celebrating Pride. I don't care. We're still celebrating my birthday. I don't care. Um, <laughs> and we're going to be talking about the Satyr's Kiss. But before we go into the nitty gritty of the book and everything, uh, how is Pride Month? No, first, how are you? And then how is Pride Month? <laughs> I am doing wonderful. Thank you so much. And, and thank you again for having me back. It's always a pleasure. And um, Pride Month, I, I mean, obviously I love Pride Month. I kind of live for Pride Month, but I also want it to be every month, you know? So that's kind of my message is we shouldn't just have a, a day or a month. Queer people are here every single day. And so we need to make every day Pride Day. We exactly. should be proud of ourselves every single day. And you just remind me, and I have to quote him every time I say this because I, I love when he said it. Uh, my dear friend and colleague, Christine Ortiz, who is also a gay man, uh, who wrote a wonderful piece in Spanish, though, uh, speaking about how pride should come from within and how um, very much in tune to what you have done with this wonderful book of bringing and harnessing that pride, love, and dignity from mm. within. I mean, I love so many things about this book, but I don't want to like give it away. So first I want to ask you, obviously, this is kind of on the nose, but what inspired <laughs> you to write this book? Um, well, it was the very first book that I ever wanted to write. And of course, the inspiration was that there wasn't anything like it, you know, out there in the world, especially when I first wanted to write it. I was 14 when I first wanted to write this book or some version you know, thereof. And I've said this before, it would have been a terrible book had I written it then. I had zero experience with the subject matter. Um, but I just intuitively knew that sexuality was such a part, such a foundational power in witchcraft. And the books at the time were really kind of downplaying that. Oh, sex is just symbolic. It's just fertility, you know, th those types of things. And all of that can be true. Um, but I think it was more of a PR campaign, you know, it was trying to really say, oh, we're not threatening, you know, we're not, we're not having orgies or whatever, and we're not hexing people and, you know, all of that stuff. And, um, but I just knew there's something there. And then as I grew up, 
and I experienced more of the pagan community, I really did see that there was such a heterosexual bias going into the foundations of the magical philosophies. I mean, we even before, you know, Wicca, you know, you look at the hermetic principles and you get that principle of gender, which, you know, really just needs to be either scrapped or or turned on its head. We need to look at it and realize gender is not sex, you know, and so we need to rethink this. So there was a lot of that gender polarity BS, you know, that was used as an excuse to um, marginalize queer people in the craft. You know, there were plenty of instances in which, you know, I was told that if we're like, if we're circling up together, you have to go boy, girl, boy, girl, you know, kind of like kindergarten or, you know, whatever, because that's the magical current. And like, well, if gay men or gay women are working magically together, can't they stand next to each other in the circle? No, because it's blah, blah, blah. And then it became, oh, well, we all have the, the male and female energies within ourselves. And so that's what we're doing. We're trying to balance that. And, you know, to that, I say, well, that's still enshrining a heterosexual model, you know, as the one that everything else needs to be, you know, judged against. You know, I, I don't actually believe in male energy and female energy. I believe in energy. I believe in consciousness. And those things take on a different flavor when they are expressed through us. But a lot of stuff that we consider to be masculine or feminine is really just a cultural projection. You know, you can go into another culture and then that turns on its head, you know. And so it's more about what we're accustomed to societally. And then we just perpetuate that. We're creatures of habit. Mm -hmm. And we have a habit of accepting the hetero paradigm as quote unquote normal, mm -hmm. you know, but I love, there's a quote, I'm probably going to get it all messed up. I always mess up quotes, but there's a great quote from Dorothy Parker, you know, that says, um, heterosexuality is not normal. It's just common. And, you know, I, I, I love that because it's not getting down on heterosexuality. I mean, you know, that it's, it's a beautiful, viable expression of love and power, but that's not for everyone. You know, yeah. that's, that's not for me. That's not for, you know, queer women. That's not for asexual people or aromantic people. You know, so I, I think that now we're at a time that we recognize there's a lot of different types of people and the universe is way bigger and more diverse than we've ever given it credit for. Mm -hmm. And I think our job now as like witches, warlocks, sorcerers, people of wonder, you know, now in the 21st century, our job is to redefine a lot of this stuff, not abandon, you know, our, our ancestral roots, but to honor those roots and also recognize that we don't live in that world anymore. And people have more choices societally now than they used to. You know, it's not that there's more queer people now or, or more trans people now. There's just more queer and trans people that accept themselves now and are feeling more comfortable coming out. So when I hear from the conservatives, oh my God, oh, now everyone's turning queer. No, not everyone is turning queer. You know, um, it's just that there is a higher percentage of people that feel more comfortable coming out because we've created a slightly better environment for them to do so. We need to keep going. Exactly. You know? And that's what part of this book is about is to like inspire specifically queer men, but hopefully everyone can get something out of it to inspire us to do our own magic, to not fall prey to 
these rules that really don't apply to us, you know, in the same way. Mm -hmm. This reminds me so much of like in the goddess tradition, um, how we, uh, you know, I'm talking kind of like from the other perspective or from perspective that is a little bit different. Um, whereas we explain that these are concepts that in our limited understanding, we have boxed uh, feminine as a nurturer, care caregiver, uh, loving, compassionate, and we have boxed masculine qualities, bigger quotes, as you know, strong and direct. And these are just concepts that we have divided and we have put a name on them and then we attach them to visible genitals, some people. Right. And the goddess as the divine or spirit or whatever people call it is everything. And you see a cisgender woman being mad and upset and there's like, oh, she's very masculine. No, she's just right. mad. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> you know. She is a human being who is experiencing anger. That's exactly. not masculine or feminine. You know, that, that is simply an emotion. Yeah. You know, we all have that capacity, you know, yeah. so it's, and, it's crazy to me. And as a, as a queer woman who grew up understanding or not understanding my queerness and also my uh, habits and, and, you know, uh, behaviors, I was often labeled, you know, in Mexico, we have this derogatory term is disgusting. They say machorra, which is like a macho woman. Mm. And I'm like, why do I have to be labeled as such when I'm just experiencing my emotions, you know, as you say. Right. Well, you know, the, the, the majority often, you know, in order to feel comfortable, you know, they have to project their fear and they have to project you know, their um, judgment, you know, yeah. on to the minority. And that's just, that's a human trait, but it's, it's, it's a trait that I hope that we can address mm -hmm. and we can move beyond because we have that capability. We can evolve, yes, you know, um, life, life is better now, you know, for queer people than it was, you know, 20 years ago, 50 years ago, a hundred years ago, you know, um, although it's, it's still, as you know, it's still an uphill battle. You know, yeah. it's, I can't believe how many times people have said to me, oh, well, now that, you know, queer people can get married, you know, now you have equal rights. No, how, how adorable you think so, you know, but obviously a lot of heterosexual people wouldn't really be aware of all the other rights that we still don't have. You know, I forget how many states you can still be fired or denied jobs or denied housing just because you're perceived as being queer. Yeah, you know, and there's no law against it. There's no federal protection, you know, for for gay people, you know, on that level. We have a lot of work to do, and also I will say, um, racism. I, I want to, you know, make sure that that's always part of the conversation, because a lot of times people talk about queer rights, gay rights, and all that stuff, and really the focus is on white cisgendered men, and I say that as a white cisgendered man, right? And I, I recognize that. Um, I'm fighting for my rights, but that doesn't mean anything if I'm not also fighting for the rights of my brothers and sisters and sacred others yeah. as well. All stripes, all races, all colors, because we're all fucking human beings and we all deserve to be treated with dignity and equality. 
And I can't believe it's 2022. I almost said 2021. My brain is all like <laughs> mush from pandemic life. Um, you know, we, 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 I can't believe that we're still having these arguments. And in fact, there's a bit of regression as, as you know, we know, especially here in the United States, yeah. you know, we have the, the dark cloud, the specter of rights being taken away, you know, when they made that announcement about Roe v. Wade, you know, that has such just on its own, it's terrible for everyone. Um, but that also the implication is, oh, all these other people now might get their rights taken away as well. Yeah. You know, um, so if people aren't outraged about abortion, you know, being taken away from people, which you should, everyone should be outraged about that. Um, but if that's not enough to get you mad about it, um, they're so coming for queer rights next. Yeah. You know, that's exactly how that ha happens, how that works. Yeah. And um, so we have to, we have to fight, you know? Yeah. And so a part of this also, this book is about just putting that message out there, you know, Hey, we're going to have pride in ourselves. We're going to do our own magic that is focused on our own community so that we can actually have that sense of pride from within, because that's what it's going to take for us to fight the good fight. Yeah. And especially I appreciate as, as a person of color, as an indigenous woman, I appreciate you pointing out kind of like an obvious fact that you as a white cis gay man are advocating because it is the people that hold the systems in place, either directly or indirectly, it falls, the brunt of the responsibility falls on you. Yeah, the ones absolutely. That, the ones that benefit the most. And that's why anything and everything that is deemed as quote unquote feminine, it's been ostracized and discriminated against because if you're not white cis male, then you're less than in their world. Mm -hmm. And and uh, there is also something that a lot of people are not ready to get into the conversation, but those who hold the systems of oppression are also being hurt by those right. systems. Absolutely. Patriarchy hurts everyone involved. You know, it's not, it, it's not just hurting women, although it most certainly is, um, but it, hurt, it hurts men too. Cis heterosexual men are, are also hurt by the system because I, I mean, I know a lot of um, straight white men who are cool <laughs> and um, who have emotions and will cry and, you know, that, and that's taboo in the culture. You know, masculinity is a temporary condition that can be revoked yeah. at, at any time. You know, oh, you have to man up. Oh, you're not man enough. Oh, you're not a real man. Those are the things that I grew up with. Yeah. You know, I grew up after people were asking me what my gender was every single day up through third grade. Um, after that, I was constantly told that I wasn't a real man. Oh, well, you're a gay man. A gay man isn't a real man. You know, no, fuck that. I, I, I'm a gay man and I'm a real man. And that's also part of the reason that I adopted the term warlock mm -hmm. was to kind of be in people's faces about it. No, I'm a real man. I'm, a, I'm just a different type of man than what you've been accustomed to in your boring cis heterosexual world, you know, whatever, you know, um, I, I, I can do anything I want to do. And that doesn't necessarily make me feminine, you know? And so I don't know, I, I think we all need to accept that these 
um, designations that we have given things. Oh, this is male, you know, male energy, female energy. There's, that's not true. There's just energy. There's just consciousness. How does yeah. that express through this individual in this situation at this time? You might culturally then think, oh, that feels more feminine or that feels more masculine, but that is a cultural marker that is not an absolute, that has nothing based in nature, you Absolutely. know? So we need to get over that, you know? But yeah, so using a term like warlock is, is in part to kind of shake people up and, yeah. and, and make them think, what, what's going on? I also feel, and this is something I wrote in The Satyr's Kiss, um, I also feel that the term warlock, as it was applied, you know, 500 years ago, you know, um, to, to men in the craft, it probably was a type of misogyny that was labeled on these men because they were all called witches and, and you knew that was bad enough. But these particular, these men and only men were called warlocks. And the word did originally mean oath breaker, you know, deceiver in league with the devil. Um, but why would they call men something different than the women? And they also thought witchcraft was a particularly feminine practice. Mm -hmm. Here's another example too. And I didn't put this in the book, but um, this idea of like cultural projections of, of male and female energy, you know, today we often think, oh, men are the ones who are like lusty. Women are supposed to be more chaste, okay. you know, whatever. I know that's ridiculous, right? I mean, you know, that's ridiculous, but, but that's the overculture generally is like, oh, men are out there and, you know, they're, they're the ones who are lusting for sex and, and women have to, you know, stay away from the men and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But 500 years ago, you know, um, and, and, and more recently, you know, during like the witch trials, it was the belief that women were the ones who were lusting everywhere. And that made them particularly susceptible, you know, to the wiles of the devil. So that's just a cultural flip. We, yeah. we so, so which is it people? Well, it's both. It's just people. It and doesn't matter male or female and there's nothing wrong with it. But so back then, I, I think that to call a man a warlock, it's the extra, it was the extra insult of like, oh, you're doing this womanly thing. It kind of reminded me of the story of Odin, you know, learning like the woman's magic, you know, from Freya, whatever. And they kind of ribbed him over it, you know, a, a little bit, but still he had this, it was usually practiced by women, but now he had this, you know, this particular type of magic as well. So I kind of take inspiration. I don't know if it's absolutely true, um, but it feels true. Um, and in terms of a relationship to the word, it's just as true as women using the word witch, you know, because I mean, come on, the word witch, it was commonly used to mean an ugly old woman or, or a displeasing woman. You know, I challenge people to use that definition now and not get slapped, you know? <laughs> so, so me reclaiming warlock, it should be seen as no different, you know, yeah. than women claiming which but it's funny the flack that I get you know over I, I recognize it's an uphill battle in the pagan movement but it's only a problem in the pagan movement because apparently our people have never, never cracked a dictionary before but you know whatever <laughs> yeah, that's and fine. yet we pride ourselves on being so informed um I, 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 every time I hear you talk about this it reminds me of uh why I actually use the word bruja on my on my yeah on my well, got to represent. <laughs> on my, I, I need one of those men. Hook me up. Um, I, for those who are only listening, uh, Storm is showing me their uh, 
cub, water cub with the Llewellyn symbol on it. And <laughs> now I want one. I stole anyway. it from Devin. And because um, they gave, I think they gave him one and they gave Matt one. And I was like, I want one. And they didn't send me one. So I just sold Devin's. But um, yeah, I should Good ask job. them, send me, send me one of these. It's actually the best water bottle I've ever had. I drink so much water now. Thank you, Llewellyn. <laughs> <laughs> I anyway, sorry, I cut you off. Anyway, no, I was saying that uh, when I told somebody that Brujan, which is just the same word in Spanish, and this person almost lost their mind. And they keep telling me like, don't call me Bruja. I'm not a Bruja. And I'm like, oh, okay, so that's going to be my nickname. Like, I'm really going to. So my <laughs> website is Bruja Laura Gonzalez. And my business card says Bruja Laura Gonzalez, you know, because yeah. like, who are you going to tell me not to define myself as I want? Which, by the way, um, stay tuned, folks, because Storm is going to come back sometime in the future. And we're going to be talking about the witch's name, which is his other other new book, because he has two <laughs> baby books that were they're almost twins. Um, right. Today right, we're, I know. Today we're concentrating on the satyrs. I see I messed it up again. You did. Yeah, satyrs. Satyrs kiss. Is that right? Uh, but, but in the future, very near future, he's going to come back and we're going to be talking about the witch's name. But back to this book, which is, by the way, so good looking. Thank you. Um, for those people who are just listening, within a half an hour, the video will be out. So come back and watch the video so you can see the, the cover. Of, who is, is this you? No, no, I don't know <laughs> who that is. It's probably like a stock image. It's a very it's good looking, a a very good looking man. In the, they did the a cover. good job. Yeah, we, and I'm glad that they, chose an image of the man from the back. Um, I, and here's an aside too. So um, one of my initiates in fairy tradition um, is um, David Salisbury and he's also an author and, and um, he wrote a book called Teen Spirit Wicca, you know, many years ago. And then somebody pointed out that if you put those books side by side, it looks like it's the same person on the cover. Because in Team Spirit Wicca, you have like a younger guy in the same pose with his arms out, kind of in praise. You've seen him from the back. So the headcanon for us now is that it's the same person in Team Spirit Wicca, but now he's all grown up. But now he's all grown up. Oh my God, that is so, so cute. I love so, it. <laughs> speaking of this wonderful book, um, a foreword from uh, the Christopher Pensack, but I have to put on my glasses because I want to read this quote from... Well, let me read the quote first. Finally, a grimoire that empowers, challenges, and inspires queer men to stand in the magical potentiality of our queerness. Storm guides the reader on a roller coaster ride through queer magic and sexual expression and connection in a refreshing and uplifting manner. None other than Christopher Hughes, the chief of the Anglesey Druid Order, Author from The Culture Born, The Book of Celtic Magic, Carrot Wen, et cetera, et cetera. My dear friend as well. And he's lovely. He is one of the most lovely people I ever met. But I love that um, all, all the good names with all the people that are praising this book. I love that you jump. That probably on the first page, it says, nobody can force you to have any kind of sexual initiation, interaction, et cetera. I cannot believe, as you said earlier, that it's 2022 and we still have to remind people 
Yeah. That sexual forced initiations of any kind are bullshit. It's it's also it's rape. It is. I, I I I classify that as cultic rape. You know, when it when a teacher insists, you know, that oh, in order to be initiated, you have to have sex with me. I I I know I'm not making I'm I'm making some enemies here, I know. Um, but but that is rape. That is not okay. Um, are there ways to share witchcraft in a sexual way? Absolutely. When everyone's on the same level, you know, if we're all like initiates, we're all, you know, of this, or just, you know, we already have a sexual relationship perhaps. And now we want to bring in magic into that. That's a great way to do that too. Um, but if you are a teacher and you have students, there is a power imbalance there. And that power dynamic is in favor of the teacher. And even if your students are all adults, they should all be adults. Um, even if you're an adult and you think you can give consent, you cannot give full informed consent because there is a power imbalance. And this is why therapists aren't allowed by law to have sex with their clients, doctors with their with their patients, um, teachers at you know in, in schools. You know, often that, that is prohibited because transference is a real thing. You know, a student can admire their teacher, their doctor, and then feel those feelings. And that's not okay. You know, that's, that's not okay for the person in power to act upon them. But I know several people in the craft from different traditions who staunchly claim it is their right as teachers to have sex with their students, that somehow having sex with their students, they think is this beautiful bonding you know, experience, they, they can transmit, you know, these, these magical mysteries. I also want to say, I mean, all of that is true. You can pass magical mysteries through sexual intercourse. And again, if you are already lovers of somebody, that's a beautiful way to do it. Um, but if that's the only way that you know how to do that, then you're not a very good witch. <laughs> you need to figure some shit out. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but I think it's cultic rape. But there's a, there's a lot of people that are just very wrapped up into that, that like, no, this is, this is my right. And, um, and that's made me some enemies in the fairy tradition and beyond. Yeah. So, but that's fine. Those people are not, you know, invited to my parties. So. Yeah. It and it goes, matter. it goes back to the culture of uh, patriarchy and abuse and how ingrained it is in our society that, you know, a person of power can claim like I can do whatever I want. Like no, hell no. That is spiritual abuse and absolutely sexual abuse, spiritual abuse. And just to piggyback on what you said, you know, if if you who are listening or watching ever encounter a teacher that tells you, oh, I'm by the way for your initiation, uh, uh-uh. run, right. run, yeah. run, run for your life. Yeah, uh, the only especially especially if they insist on it. But I would say even if it's just offered. I would really look at that askew, you know? Um, I don't offer that. The first thing that I say to my students is I will not be having sex with you because you'd be surprised how many people expect that that's the way it is, especially in, in fairy tradition. I've heard that a lot, you know, people saying, oh, really? well, the, the initiation is, is sexual, right? It has to be sexual. No, it doesn't have to be. There, yes, there is a tradition of doing it that way, but there's also a tradition of, not doing it that way, you know? So you have choices. But one of the founders, Cora Anderson, she wrote in her book, 50 Years in the Fairy Tradition, 
she talked about this thing that we call right by intention of the heart. And it was specifically a way to pass initiation in a non-sexual way so that the, the initiate to be would not have to break any vows. Perhaps they're in a monogamous relationship, they're married or, or whatnot. Why should you have to break your vows to your partner in order to become initiated in the craft? You shouldn't. You should not have to compromise your ideals. If you're being asked to compromise your ideals in order to join a magical group, that magical group isn't worth anything. Exactly. You know, any magical group that's worth its weight in salt is going to make you more of who you already are. They're going to validate you through compassion and they're going to challenge you, you know, to, to, to grow and get better, but they're not going to make demands of you to go against your nature, yeah. you know, to, to, that will take away your power base. That is just power over. Those are tools of the patriarchy. They need to be wholly rejected. And so I definitely made, made sure that in the Seder's Kiss, I really made that clear because it is a book with a healthy dose of sex magic. It really is about, hey, if you want to bring sex into your witchcraft practice, here's a great way to do that. There's exercises for individuals, for couples, for groups. But then at the same time, if you don't want to do that, you don't have to. And I also give what I call blue rites, you know, versions of the spells and rituals that don't involve, you know, sexual intercourse or sexual activity, because mm -hmm. not everyone is going to want to do that all the time. Even if you do want to incorporate sex into your witchcraft, you don't want to do that all everything. the time. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It just, you know, you, you know, sex should be special, <laughs> you know, and, and in my opinion, consenting, consenting adults and caring for your body as well. And as a survivor of a cult, yes, my name is Laura Gonzalez. I survived a cult. I was a six and a half year um, involved in a group of uh, indigenous knowledge. Uh, they're wise. And, and I got to tell you something. If your spirit keeps telling you to go, listen to your spirit. Yeah. Listen to your spirit. Yeah. Because I was never, I was in a cult, but I was and I say this with a grain of salt, only emotionally abused. There mm -hmm. were other people who were physically abused as in punishments, mm. um, physical punishments. So, you know, your spirit knows. So listen to your spirit and go, yeah. go, go. Uh, but speaking of, of the rituals, you were talking about blue, blue rites and red rites. And I want to, the time is flying. I don't know if you look at the clock yet. Oh my I goodness, have, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> time is gone. So I, I really want to get into the book. Our conversation is lovely, but we're here to talk about the book. <laughs> um, I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> there's, a, there's a list of exercises, a list of rituals, and a list of spells. There's a wonderful foreword by Christopher Pensek. I said that already. Yes. And out of... A lot of things that you talk about here in the book, I am in love with the coming out of the closet spell. Oh, that thank is you. so beautiful. Oh, why is you. it why is it important? We on we all know, right? That's as a as queer and or LGBTQ or whatever alphabet mafia letter you are. You and I here know not everybody has to come out of the closet and not everybody needs to be respected whether they're in or out. However, comma, you wrote a wonderful thing for those who are ready. Can you talk about it? 
Well, I just think that, you know, it's one of those things that is a common queer experience, you know, coming out. We often think of coming out as a singular event, you know, but really coming out is kind of ongoing, you know, you meet new people, you know, and you have a choice. Am I going to be withholding or am I going to be open, right? And that's your choice. I like how you said that, you know, basically respect isn't determined on your status, you know, in terms of like, are you in or are you out? That's a personal decision for everybody. The only exception I make for that are for politicians. You know, if politicians, especially anti-queer politicians, you know, if we find out that they're actually queer on the side, oh, you forced those people out of the closet, you expose them because they're hurting the rest of us. That's the exception. Everybody else should be able to live as they decide for themselves. Not everybody is going to want to come out of the closet, maybe because their friends or family won't understand. I don't know, maybe for living in the Midwest, in the Bible Belt, and no one is going to understand. It's going to make your life harder, maybe dangerous. It might be dangerous for you to come out. No one should fault you for doing what you feel you need to do in order to be comfortable and to live your life safely. But there are those of us who do feel comfortable coming out and being public. And I think we're it's important for us to do that if we do feel comfortable doing so, because the more of us that are living out there openly, it makes it a little bit easier for other people to do the same. And it makes it a little bit harder for other people to spread that hate, you know, just a little bit, you know, so it is a political act too. you know, me living totally open is a political act. Um, the ritual was really because I feel like you know, coming out is just something that happens and then it isn't often commemorated. You know, there's no Hallmark card for that. You know, maybe there is now, I don't know, but um, there certainly wasn't when I came out at 17. And, um, and I just think it's something that should be celebrated. And if we're talking about what I call a queer craft, um, which is a very personal um, craft. Um, and I think that we should be given the opportunity to spiritualize, to ritualize, you know, these events. So for somebody like me, I, like I said, I came out, you know, officially when I was 17. Um, I didn't at that time, like do a ritual, you know, for it. Um, I, I spent a lot of years kind of doing my spiritual work around it. Um, but if I was a, I don't know, a, a new baby queer, you know, coming out now and, and in the craft, it might be nice to have a ritual that spoke about that. And even if you don't perform the ritual, you know, the main part of the symbolism was about leaving, leaving an old life behind that doesn't serve you, you know, like wearing those old clothes and getting, and then getting rid of the old clothes. And you're kind of coming out like a butterfly, you know, coming out of that chrysalis. And I just felt that the imagery was so powerful because that's really what I felt. You know, I was in a cocoon, I was in a chrysalis, but then when I chose to be truthful about who I was and to have that fire of pride, you know, beaming out of me, that's when I kind of became that butterfly. And I found, I suddenly had so much more confidence than I'd ever had before. And um, so I just thought, well, having some sort of ritual, even if people don't actually perform it, just, I think, read it, just reading it and knowing it's there, you know, I, I think there's some, there's some value in that as well. So hopefully I'll hear from people who maybe do perform it. I would love to hear people's feedback. You know, but I thank you for pointing that out because that was something in my test group. My test group was a lot of um, um, queer men 
um, from a lot of different age ranges, but especially the older ones were like, well, who is this for? They didn't necessarily feel that there was some any value in that particular exercise. And like, well, it might, might not be for you. It's not gonna be for everybody. It's not gonna be for every queer person, but for the person that it's gonna mean something for, it's nice to have that there. And they, again, even if you just read it and it's in the back of your mind, oh, coming out of the closet is me coming out of my chrysalis. I get to be that beautiful butterfly and I can take flight and just like say bye Felicia to all those, you know, <laughs> haters and yeah. flutter off and do my own fabulous thing. So, so thank you for pointing that out. I really appreciate it. And, and you know, what's funny, I don't know if you're aware of this or not. I don't know how many Mexican or Mexican American people are in your life, but in Mexico, a way of, in a comedic, but almost derogatory way to point out queer and or gay people is they call them butterflies you yeah, know mariposa, the, so mariposa. yeah and i'm like what a beautiful way to reclaim right that, that butterfly and, and i think so many times that's what the queer community does right when i was um a little well i didn't even know i was queer but when i was a, a little queer boy you know i'm in the 70s i was often called fairy and you know that was used as a derogatory and now that's part of my name, you know, Same. that's part, that's the tradition that I w initiated into and now teach. And I find that a complete source of power. Queer was used as a slur against us. And a lot of us have claimed that back. You can't hurt me with it when I wear yep. it proudly, Yep. you know? So I think that's part of our culture. And I think any minority culture, you know, will do that as well. I mean, oh, black yeah. people with the N word, you know, have exactly. really taken that and they will use it as a point of power amongst themselves that's beautiful and that's awesome and that's what you do you yeah. know but if someone's coming at me calling me queer and they're they're meaning it with all that you know hatred and whatever it doesn't have the same punch that it used to because it's like girl you calling me queer i'm just gonna call you psychic what the fuck you know there, so. <laughs> I love that. there's so many intersections that are and i love how we are uh, organically tapping into all of this power places because like on the body positivity or fat phobia uh, communities we're also doing that with the word fat mm -hmm. because the, the word fat is just an eject adjective adjective just like any other uh right describing words right <laughs> so somebody's tall somebody's thin somebody has a beard somebody's uh bald somebody's hairy and then some people are thin and some people are fat. And there has to be that understanding of reclaiming, like, and when people call me and this, I know about one of my apprentices, she's gonna fall off the chair laughing when I say this, because when people come to me and, and go like, you're fat, I'll be like, where? <laughs> really? Like, where? I, I haven't noticed, like, come on, you know? So let us reclaim that power by taking the power of the words that being used for to offend or diminish and taking pride on our identity there yeah. there are two more things that i really want to tap into i don't want to talk too much about the actual ritual but i love the setting your intentions <laughs> ritual i think it's fantastic and i love that uh, you mentioned that it can be do can be done uh, as a blue or as a red and for those who have no idea what I'm talking about, buy the book, get the book <laughs> so you know what I'm talking about. 
But within that ritual and, and within a lot of the pages, you talk about two things that are very important, being a 70s baby myself as well. A lot of us, our elders got robbed by AIDS. Yes. We, we miss our elders. And on that ritual of setting the intention and elsewhere in the book, you talk about joy. Mm. Joy and elders, something that is conveniently uh, put aside. We just lived it through the whole month of June. Everybody's queer because it sells. Right. And then after that, we don't talk about our elders. We don't talk about our joy. We don't talk about our day-to-day -day lives. And we don't talk about our pleasure, especially you know, gay men, uh, I think in particular, as long as, as well as women, you don't talk about pleasure, you know, because it's impure. I love how you speak about joy and being an elder of the future. Thank you. I, I think that it's really important that we, well, for first, I want to say spot on. I'm so glad that you brought that up in terms of that we lost our elders. You know, when I was growing up and I had just come out, Again, I came out when I was 17. Um, there were precious few older gay men that I knew. In fact, in the book, I talk about one in particular, um, Colin Smith Twankelson. And um, he was, I think he was 11 years older than me. And that was a big deal because nobody else, it was like everybody was in my age group. You know, nobody knew any older gay men because they had all died. You know, and um, and I, I didn't live in San Francisco. I lived in you know in the suburbs. I still live in the suburbs of San Francisco, and so maybe I would have known a few more had I lived actually in the city. Um, but basically, an entire generation was just wiped out before the U.S. government even mentioned the word AIDS. You know, an entire generation of mostly queer men were just wiped from the face of the earth, and so we didn't have those same experiences that other cultures have of these stories being handed down, you know? And so we were kind of just lost a little rudderless. And I think that it's important that we recognize, especially I recognize as I'm getting older, I, you know, I'm, I'm 51 now and um, I'm realizing, well, that's the role that I'm stepping into now. I'm to be the elder, you know, now, in fact, some people would consider me now, you know, an elder. It's not a term that I use for myself, seems a little self-aggrandizing, you know, but, um, but I recognize that I have a responsibility, you know, to pass on my experience, what I've learned, you know, over the years, and that all of us do, you know, and that's what we, that's the responsibility that we have to our, our queer communities. Our responsibility is to be authentic and, and to share our knowledge because the straight people aren't going to do it for us. You know, we have to take that responsibility ourselves. And, um, but I do think that we can't just focus on what's bad and the pain. We have to focus on the joy. We have to focus on what is pleasurable because we want to create a world that is full of joy and healing. And we're not going to heal by only focusing on the bad. I'm not saying be a Pollyanna. I'm not saying turn a blind eye to the pain. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of suffering. We have to work to heal that. You can only heal that by addressing it and talking about it, but we can't get stuck there. And it's like with what, what a lot of my activist friends will talk about, you know, they can easily burn out. If you're only focusing on these are the problems and we have to tackle these problems, you have to step away and find where's the joy in my life. 
you know, and how can I spread that joy to others as well? And that was also part of this book. I was hoping that people were going to find that it really is informed with joy. You know, yeah. even though we talk on some heavy subjects, I talk about the rainbow dead and I talk about very specific figures in queer history and how history did them wrong, you know, and that's been a, a um, constant struggle, you know, for our queer communities is that we're often oppressed and killed and, and there's violence and all those things are true. And we have to remember those things. We have to remember the Pulse nightclub tragedy. We have to remember Alan Turing and how he was arrested for being queer and was chemically castrated. That's part of our history, but we don't get stuck there. We remember those roots. Those are the roots of the tree that's growing now. And hopefully that tree, we will tend it. It will grow and, and blossom and fruit. And we will get something good and beautiful out of it because that's the, we're trying to build a better tomorrow. And we can yeah. only do that if we bring joy into the mix. And also, as you mentioned, Paul's, you know, how a lot of people, let me choose my words wisely. A lot of people are not very interested on in talking about polls because the majority of our queers that we lost there were people of color. Mm -hmm. And, and that's why them... I think it's extra important. We have to remember that the queer community is not just the white queer community. Yeah. It's the same thing with like feminism. It's like, um, hello, there are women of color. They are women, you know, so an issue that affects black women should be tackled by all women, you know, and that's it's real all, feminism. Again, all these intersectionalities because the, the, the most precious lives and I'm saying, the police understand what I'm saying. They're all precious, but the most precious at this moment, the most vulnerable are yeah. our black women and our black transgender women. Right. And they're the ones who are being targeted the most. Yeah. Yes. Like all of everybody's getting targeted, you know, in the, in the minorities. However, we can easily see some are more vulnerable than others. So we need to put extra care and energy on those segments of society that are the most vulnerable. Yeah. To me, that's a no brainer. Yeah. You know, but I think you're absolutely right. I think that it becomes this, this racial divide, which to me, maybe I'm wading into weird territory here, but I always, that always has rubbed me the wrong way. Cause I'm like, aren't we the human race? You know, shouldn't, shouldn't we be able to not, I'm, I'm not saying be colorblind, that's absurd, you know, but can't, I don't understand why we can't just celebrate differences. And, and yet it, it's always about fear. It's always about hatred. Oh, you're different. And therefore I, I'm not even going to try to understand you, or I'm going to think that you're inferior or whatever. And the whole white supremacy thing, I'm like, have you seen these white supremacists? I, I can't even believe that they think that there's superior race. I'm like, come on, what the hell, you know? Yeah, yeah. But the the superior, the superior race that tells us immigrants to speak correctly, but cannot even write a protest. I, know, I, I mean, oh my gosh, we can yeah. storm. We can continue talking about the intersectionalities of our very many communities for days, my dear friend. Alas, our time has just <laughs> continued going. Before we go, I want to mention thank you. And it's a good thing that you're coming back because we can continue talking back about other things. I also want to mention 
thank you for making this very specific mention of magic does not equal therapy. Therapy uh, is therapy. Tap into that, please. Yeah, well, I mean, mostly I have experience with this because, you know, running a shop for as long as I did and people would come in with their magical problems. And often I would feel, oh, this is not necessarily a magical or a spiritual issue. This seems like it's a, a psycho psychological or, you know, issue. Maybe you need a psychiatrist, you know, and I've had to refer people before, you know, to counselors and I've lost, I lost customers. I lost clients because people would get really offended, even though I was so trying so hard not to be judgy and to try to, you know, destigmatize, you know, mental, you know, illness. Um, but just because you are a witch or, or, you know, a sorcerer or whatever, does not mean that you are a psychologist, you know? And so I recognize that I have limitations. You know, I, I've had students before that I've had to say, oh, we can't go any further because I'm not qualified to take you further. In fact, that would be irresponsible of me because it could cause some real psychological damage. You know, magic and the occult, it does delve into, the, into psychology. It absolutely does. Um, and to, to a degree, that's fine. You know, for, I, I don't know, the average person on the street is probably fine. But if you are dealing with some deep-seated issues, you don't need a shaman. You know, you need a, a therapist, right? Exactly. Or maybe both. You know, maybe you need both. But, you know, if, if, if you're going through shadow work and it gets a little hairy, you know, maybe you don't want to just rely on your high priest, you know, exactly. and your shaman. Maybe you need to go and, and seek some actual therapy and then kind of join those things together. And that's, yeah. that to me is the best. If you can have a therapist and a high priest, you know, then you're probably golden. Um, but don't expect your high priest to be a therapist unless your high priest is actually a, a therapist. therapist. Exactly. You know, exactly. you know, and, and even that's a little tricky, you know, because then it's like, oh, who's power dynamics again, you know, yeah. you know whatever. Yeah. But, and, um, and I think that um, what you don't know about me is that my biggest pet peeve is these people who utilize psychological terms to sell their products mm. and that they will <clears throat> sell this workshop on take our three hour workshop and for $1,500, you can heal your inner child to which I say in three hours, you can probably understand the concept of the inner child. You know? Right, right, right. You're, you're not going to heal it. And so folks run. That's a lifetime of work, by the way. Run. Yes. Exactly. You should run. You um, should run. That's just, that's late stage capitalism. You know, oh come on, God, yes. you know, it's just making a buck, making a buck. And I have no qualms against people making an honest buck, you know, making an honest living, but that's not honest. No. You know, uh, that if it, and if you believe that that's true, you've been misled. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I, as a witch of, as a witch for hire, sell to find witch for hire. I facilitate for people. And I'll be like, my strength, me, Laura Gonzalez, my strength is when I recognize that I cannot help you anymore. Yeah. And I can send you to the therapist. Yep, exactly. And that's what you want. You want somebody who's going to be authentic because yeah. you're going, you're coming to us for help. I'm a warlock for hire, right? So yeah. I get it, you know, and my job 
is to meet the client where they are spiritually. I'm not here to like push my spirituality off onto other people. You know, that wouldn't even work. It wouldn't even make sense. You know, so, but part of that is recognizing that I can only go so far. Yeah. I have limitations and yeah. I'm not even necessarily talking about the legal limitations, although that's a big thing too. You know, yeah. you can't call yourself a therapist if you're not a freaking therapist. You know, <laughs> even when I do Reiki, I don't call myself a Reiki therapist. I call myself a Reiki practitioner. Exactly. You know, technically, I guess Reiki master, whatever, but that sounds, it all sounds weird. Yeah, it's um, also weird. It all sounds weird. Even the black wand is a fairy master. Sometimes like, oh God, it just sounds weird. But, but you, you know, know what? At the same time, whatever. <laughs> as, as a person that also feels weird saying all the titles and I'm Laura, the Blue Witch, that's it. But, <laughs> but um, it also comes with a recognition of what's behind the title, which we're going to talk about when you come back talking about the witch's name yeah uh, uh i love that the time it just keeps flying on us uh, <laughs> the satyr kiss uh where can people find your book well um you can go to my website fairywolf.com that's f-a-e-r-y-w-o-l-f.com and um, just click on books and then you can see all of my books and that will have links um, to get them you can get signed copies from my shop. There's a link there. My shop is dutchwaretrading.com. Um, but you can also get them on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, really anywhere that books are sold. Thank you very much, Llewellyn. They have really good distributorship. I'm having a great time working with them. Um, but yeah, and then um, for classes, you can check us out at modernwitchuniversity.com. And that is the home of our very successful Black Rose Witchcraft course. It's a one-year course in a modern folkloric witchcraft so you can check that out um but yeah just find me on fairywolf.com find me on twitter um i'm also on instagram and facebook but i do hate them you know so um twitter twitter is my my thing i do have a tiktok account i've not posted a single thing i don't think i ever will so find me on twitter is the moral of the story <laughs> yeah find, find you on twitter and find you on the website where you can find the books and sign copies and we shall meet in person at one point in time so I can get a we signature. Will. Yes. You know, absolutely. And I know I said it already like a million times. Storm is coming back later in the year. We're going to talk about the witch's name because that is also a wonderful book. Thank and you. my only thing that I have left is to say thank you very much for coming to the show. Thank you very much for writing this very important book um lifting all those voices and doing a job that I know is not easy to do which is mm -hmm. of lifting all the voices but that's kind of co goes oh, with the wow. privileges but thank you thank you for that I really appreciate it and thank you so much for inviting me back on it's always a pleasure you always make me feel so welcomed and I have a great time as evidenced by the fact that time has literally slid through our fingers. I feel like I've only been here a few minutes. So um, thank you again. I am looking thank forward you. to coming back. And thank you so much uh, to all our audience. Please, do you, would you like to say something for your audience? Well, I just wanna say thank you for all of your support. It, it's been amazing. Thank you for all of the good um, reviews and ratings. Um, and I will say, if you have read my books and you haven't reviewed and or rated them yet, please consider doing so, especially over at Goodreads, because that's a really tough audience um, are there. And some people, you know, I do have a few haters and they will show up and, and kind of 
give me those one stars and, and whatever. So hopefully I'll get some people that are, you know, more on my side, <laughs> going to Goodreads yeah. especially. But I just want to say thank you so much for all the years of support. Um, I couldn't do this without you. I'm, I'm making my living 100% from being a writer and a teacher and a, a warlock for hire. And I couldn't do that without really wonderful people helping to support me. So thank you so much for all of that. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Storm, for being here. Thank you for coming back. You're going to come back. And I know, have I told you he's coming back later? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just excited because we just book it. So uh, please forgive me. Anyway, uh, what I it. have left to say is please listen to every single one of the um, shows on CSMP, the Circle Central Enable podcast. We have, of course, Selena Fox, the Selena Fox with uh, Nature Mystic and Nature Spirituality on Wednesdays and Sundays. We have Circle Talk two Tuesdays a month. We have Moon Magic two Thursdays a month uh, with David and Janet Ewen and then Circle Talk with Deborah Rose. We have Blue Marble with Charlotte Bear and we have Paganos del Mundo, Pagaos del Mundo, our show in Spanish and Portuguese on Saturdays with Christina Ortiz, Carolina Moore, Monica Govin, Harwood Tuleva, and Laura Gonzalez. And of course, we have Lunes Lunaticos, Lunatic Mondays, every Monday with yours truly. And until we meet again, never forget that you are loved. Thank you. And thank you for joining us on the Circle Sanctuary Network podcast, presented by Circle Sanctuary and produced for all who follow the Nature Center paths. Join us here throughout the week for various programming connected to the community around the world. And please don't forget to watch for updates on the Circle Sanctuary website at www.circlesanctuary.org. And follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash csnpodcasts. We can also be found on your favorite podcast hosting sites, such as iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and others. And until next time, many blessings. <laughs>